welcome to the fourth episode of the Power Players Podcast, powered by Radio.com. I am your hostess, Danielle McCartan, and we're going to welcome in momentarily the fourth women's basketball head coach in North Carolina Tar Heel history, Courtney Banghart. So everybody knows we first met through the Princeton women's basketball program where I was a sideline reporter. Courtney was with the Tigers, the 2015 Naismith National Coach of the Year, a seven-time Ivy League title winner, and had reached the NCAA tournament eight times. And then, Courtney, after 12 years, you made the decision to leave your program. Could you take us into that Banghart home in the time leading up to your announcement? I got to the point where I had had so much success at Princeton, and I had loved it so much. I sort of wondered, is it going to be wherever I, is that going to be where I ended up? You know, and so then you look at it and you say, I've been at the Ivy League since I was 17 years old, you know, as a player and then as an assistant as a head coach. And, you know, life sort of needed some chapters, I feel like, you know. And so I started to kind of listen to little schools called um, a campus and even went on a different offsite interview for a different school. And neither, I'll never forget it. I walked in with one of the search firms at one of the different jobs and he said, listen, they love you. Here's what you got to do. You have to make sure before you leave that room, you tell them you want the job. And I looked him in the eye and I said, well, I don't know if I do. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, then you're not going to, you know, you're not going to get it if you don't, if you don't. And I'm like, well, that's fine. I'm always going to be honest. And so I, I went into the interview. I didn't say that because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. I wasn't sure if I wanted it. Right. And then when, when North Carolina called, it was a very different story. It was like, holy moly, this is, this feels real. This feels scary. And it feels because I, I think it might be the one where I'll actually leave for. My sister lives in Chapel Hill, um, has for 12 years. Um, obviously it's ACC, which was the only conference I would really consider. Um, one of the very best academic schools in the country consistently, and it's basketball country. This is a basketball school, right? It's a desirable place to live. I mean, the whole thing. And so uh, I met the athletic director via a phone call, and um, the rest really was history. It, was, it became the right place very quick. However, in the back of your mind is I cannot believe I would leave a program that I built, and I built a super team. Right. And it's built for a couple years now. Um, and so it became, became less about what's the point in staying and doing kind of, it, it came more about what's, what's next and got to the point where I had no other choice. I was either going to take this job or I was going to maybe go coaching the NBA or, or leave the business entirely once I had made the decision that I was ready for a new chapter. And then, I mean, obviously the physical toll on moving the family to the new state, how is that? Oh, you know, I think transitions are really disruptive. You know, you have to first tell your team, which is the hardest day of my life, which means yeah. it a good life, I know. Um, and then, of course, you're, you're entering someone else's disruption and, and what they vacated. And then everything, you're, you're uprooting your entire family and you're uprooting your community that you built, you know, for 12 years and, and you know, all those things. And if you're afraid of or if you're unwilling to, to, to endure the, the transition, then don't, then, then don't move. Because it, there's no other way to say it than it's a, than it's a disruption. And with that comes, you need directions to do things now. You need to up, you need to sell a house. You need to buy a house. I mean, all the things that are, most people say, I'd rather, I just don't want to do that. Well, then then you're going to stay in one place forever. That's your other option, right? And that option became, like I said, it became not an option. So, yeah, it was, you know, I literally, the day I got my, the day I, I, the day I bought a house, I put, I put an offer on a house the day I came down to do my interview. Uh, it's about two miles from campus. I can hear the bell tower from my house. It's really mm-hmm. gorgeous. It, the house really fits me well. Um, it's gorgeous. It's, you know, it's all that. It's so I literally, and then I sold my house three days later. So I bought and sold a house in, in three days, or, or my family and I bought and sold a house in three days. So that, that's probably worth, that's probably should be the title of the book someday. <laughs> yeah, someday. They say everybody has a book inside them. For sure. No doubt. You do too. This is another one of your chapters. You're right. Yeah. And, and in terms of advice and tips and check-ins, do you now or did you during the season keep in contact with your Tigers? You know, 
I sort of, I always checked up on them, right? So I, and luckily with Synergy and with the, uh, and with the Ivy League network, I was able to do that easily remotely. Uh, and of course the friend, the parents have become very good friends of mine. Um, mm-hmm. However, I wanted to honor that they had a different journey. And I think whenever you just, whenever you leave an organization, there's a level of disruption that you just kind of want to give the new coaching staff a chance to have their, your, you had to actually have your team. Right. And build it in the way they, you know, and have it molded in the way. So, you know, I, I would say probably, you know, I'm obviously very close to both Bella and Carly in particular, and, and all of them. I mean, I'm really, but, you know, just because Bella's now leaving, it was big games, I think maybe before the very first Ivy game, perhaps before the very first game. But for the most part, no. You know, I think I was a fan from afar and talked to her dad a handful of times throughout the season um, and things like that. But um, we've talked more now that the season's over and, you know, and I can help her with thinking about, everything from the NBA at WNBA to her draft stop to her uh, agents. And I've talked to many, of course, WNBA coaches about her and, and whatnot. So, um, no, you know, I think I, I wanted to make sure that, that they got the distance that either they might've wanted or might've needed, or I didn't know, but I felt like distance was always, always safest. So I, I became, was a fan from afar. And you took one of your coaches down to UNC from Princeton to UNC with you. And why, why is that important for you to have that, I guess, connection there? Well, I think what's most important is that you hire people that are going to help you do the job at hand. It's all about fit and timing. Life is about those two things, right, fit and timing. And um, so I, I brought one of my coaches, but interestingly, I brought uh, my director of ops is now running my video and film. That's what she was doing before she got to me. And then my former director of ops is now my director of ops. So I, I, I do have, of my sort of 12-person staff, four of them are from Princeton, myself included, uh, but one is a coach. And uh, she was actually my first coaching hire, um, Carrie Moore, my recruiting coordinator, and that's because I was able to see the type of recruiter that she was and how she did it, and I knew that that was a key part on a new staff, is, is, is how, who's going to help you choose your people, and she's so good at that. So it uh, became a no-brainer, and then my, uh, my other former assistant at the time, who uh, was my former player, Addie Messier, and she, she was going for the Princeton job, and I wanted her to do that. I thought she would be a really good candidate, so um, I didn't want to mess with that um, in any way. Um, but yeah, then I brought my, my director of ops with me, who's done a fantastic job as our director of video and scouting. And then I brought our, our former director of uh, operations back to my director of ops here. So uh, we've got some healthy, some healthy prints and ties. I and mean, it's good that they know um, the operation and, and how I workflow and, 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 and how I leave with my heart and things like that. But, you know, we have a big staff now and I've got 12 people that I meet with every Monday, you know, so it's, it's a big staff. And for the listeners, about uh, just about one year ago, Courtney was named the head coach of the UNC Tar Heels. And Courtney, now that you've just wrapped up your first season while wearing that iconic blue, which ways or in which ways have you grown as a head coach over the past calendar year? Um, you know, two different jobs. My job at Princeton, I had built it to the point where I was a little bit more of a manager. You know, I was managing a talented roster and managing the recruiting database and managing. And here I, I got to come back to being a teacher, you know, and a builder. You know, you're building the culture that you want and you're, you're teaching the game the way you want it played and, and things like that. And there's no seniors and juniors that, are, that know how I operate who can kind of repeat my messages and, and teach behind the scenes, right? So there, I, I got to utilize a different skill set that I utilized originally at Princeton, but then you kind of, you kind of skill out of that, right? right. Um, so I think going back to that was, was fun. Um, also, just the level on a night-to-night basis. The ACC is, a, is, is you know... Last three of the last four years has been the best conference in the country. So you're you're playing twice a week, just like you are in the Ivy League. But you're playing against, you know, there's no, there's just no, there's no weak link. You're just you're really battling every night. And so how to manage that competitively in terms of both mind, body, and soul is uh, was a, was a steep learning curve uh, and really fun. Um, 
but I think also you just learn patience and persistence in a different way. Like these kids are the seniors and juniors have have operated with a different reality and different expectation or different level of standard. And you can't change it overnight. You've got to kind of start with what's most important and kind of wet out. So I, I would say I've just the building stage was, was different than what I had done in a while. You've said that, I saw an interview where you said that the goal of the UNC program is to get to the final four. But I always say that without a plan, a goal is just a dream. So what is your plan to mm-hmm. accomplish getting to that? Yeah, you know, doing getting the right people. So I did that by hiring a really fantastic staff and, and ensuring that I continue to mentor and mold them into the way that helps us become a, a finely tuned operation, right? Um, and then you do that with who you recruit, your people. So it's, it's really a people business through and through. And, and, you know, at Princeton, I remember I was 7 and 23 my first year, and anybody inside the program, parents, administration, they would say, we were rolling because we, they knew that we were getting there. Like our, our culture was changing. Our, um, and then we got the Lauren Edwards class and, um, and Devon All, who's actually here in North Carolina, and uh, Laura Johnson. And then the second year was that Naveen class. You know? And so you just have to get the people that are going to help you take the steps you need to take to get there. Right. Um, and we play at a conference that allows us to have the competitiveness to do it, um, which is exciting. So the plan, you also, it's, it's because people business, it has to be ever flowing, right? It's not my way. And I told them that in my very first meeting with them. The team asked me what my goals were for the program. And I told them it doesn't matter what mine are, it matters what yours are. And then my job is to get you there. And so that's, I would repeat that that's what my job is, you know, was to, is to just kind of take the steps I need to take, but also be flexible enough to adjust to what you know, they're willing to do and, and what they can do and then take the next step accordingly. And when I was coaching softball, I took a program and turned it around uh, into a state championship uh, berth, at least in, in four years time. What would you say is a realistic timeline to achieve what you're setting out to do with UNC? Oh, man, longer. I mean, you never know. It depends on how good you get, right? Right. So I just signed a top 11. I, taught, I signed a top 11th ranked recruiting class in the country after being here four months. That, that bodes well. If you only have one of them, you're not going to be very good, right? You've got to get a couple of them um, right. annually. So, um, you know, I, I really like the group we have coming in. Um, I really like a lot of the returners. You know, I had to do a little bit of a roster adjustment over the past week, which has been, which has been hard but good. Um, you know, and so it depends on who we get in this 21 class, and it depends on what their goals are and how, how, how much they're willing to work to get there. You know, and you've known me long enough. I know the listeners don't. But, you know, I'm certainly not going to take shortcuts, and I'm also not going to I'm not going to judge my, my worth in the business by how far my teams go. It's going to be, you know, how well, I, how, how well they do in 40 years in their life, you know, right. when they, when they're, when they're 65 and, and how happy they are with their experience and their, their life. And they can still look back and be proud of their college basketball experience. I will have won a lot of games. No, I had to ask, I have to ask you, have you met Michael Jordan yet? Yeah, I, I have not met Michael Jordan yet. I've met, I mean, this place is crazy about <laughs> basketball. So I've met some of the coolest basketball people like in the grocery store. You're like, Oh my God, hi Antoine James. You know, I get, seats four rows behind the men's bench every mm-hmm. game for the men's game four of them it's a pretty amazing perk um but you know we had our alumni weekend and there's some some guys some, some of our guys that played with here when jordan was here so i just finally i wanted to finish my first full year which obviously just happened yeah. um and then we just sent him a, a care package of, of carolina women's gear and um I have, I have i have a feeling we'll be certainly connected with them before we start the second season. that is so awesome good i'm so happy for you so awesome but- a lot of the shoes <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if I, I just thought of this question before you called. If you were stuck in quarantine with any professional athlete living, who would it be? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> any any sport too, right? Yeah, any sport, but it has to be living. Gosh, yeah, man, I'm such a sports fan. That's a um, to get the right answer. I'm gonna have to think a while. But um, is it Tom Brady? Yeah. I know you're a Patriots fan. 
No, not Tom Brady. I love Tom Brady. I like to look at Tom Brady. Um, I'm mad at him now that he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So peace out, Brady. Um, no. Yeah. Um, boy, that's a good, that's a that's a hard question. I mean, I think the 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 obvious answers would would have been Kobe. Um, that's why it's a little bit it hurts a little right. bit to have to say that because right. what a year this has been. And obviously, the obvious answer would be would be LeBron and people that have that are that are that are changing the game are always interesting. Those, those are the ones that you kind of say. But you know, also with Serena being a woman of power and poise. Um, and having to kind of adjust to excellence on typically been men. I mean, all that. I mean, there's so many I would, I'd want to sit with. And then you look at the WNBA and you say you want to kind of look at someone like a any of them, but, you know, you look at like a Vandersloot in Chicago and say, you know, what's working with our game and what's not, you know, so that we can continue to grow our game. So there's – I've got too many. You didn't ask me that question ahead of time. You didn't ask me any of these questions ahead of time. So that, I don't know. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I know it's not an athlete, but I feel like you would want to pick uh, Bill Belichick's brain, No. Yeah, you know, I think the book um, Education of a Coach by Bill Halberstam is a great book that how he kind of how he operates and you know he's a great example of coaching. Although it's a people business, you have to know your stuff. And that's not right. business. You know, don't. It's not about just about who you know and what you you know. It's about what what you you know. And so the book was so well written. I actually feel like I've already met him in a way because of it. One of the main reasons why I wanted to get you on the horn now is because obviously we're living in unprecedented times coaching during this pandemic and i know that you're still meeting virtually with your players and what is your message to them you know it's a that's a because i think you'll get a lot of different answers in who you ask i think we are creatures of habit athletes highly functioning athletes are creatures of habit right it's how they stay disciplined and this has completely disrupted our the routine right right and so we can either scramble and try to find the next routine which is important and there's a time for that right but you also have to kind of meet the moment and this is unknown terrain, right? So what we first did is they were actually on spring break the first week. So the very first week we did is we extended, they extended spring break for a week. And I gave them that week to just, again, be with family and, like, holy moly adjust, right? And then the first week back was, was internet, you know, was online learning. And I didn't want to hop all over them on that either because they just kind of learning how to online learn. And so we then, and then we did our end of the season kind of successes and next step meetings with each of them. And um, that kind of was the original, like, that's the start of like, okay, these are the things, what do you want your next year to look like? And based on that, these are the things that we need to improve on. And that kind of starts now. And how you do that, if that's your doing shoulder stability, you know, or is that you're reading a book on leadership while you're, you know, in the evening instead of watching Netflix, or is that, you know, you kind of challenge them to say, this is time that everybody gets the same 24 hours, whether it's a pandemic or uh, normalcy. And the champions, the Kobe Bryants, are, are the ones that utilize their 24 hours differently than everybody else. Um, and so, you know, but it's not me presenting at them about that. It's just the individual connection of, like, these were your goals. And your timeline with me is shrunk because you might not be here this summer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But your goals remain the same regardless of the obstacles. So it's the adjustment. It's like that Darwin quote, you know, it's not about survival of the fittest. It's survival of the most adaptive. And uh, I just, I've just i kind of tried to meet them where they are on that. It, this is still weird. So let's figure out how to do that. And what, what do you have at home? And how can I utilize those type of things? Yeah, you know, and, and I know a lot of the people that listen to me are, are, are coaches themselves. And, you know, maybe there's basketball players out there, but like, I don't like, obviously the gyms are closed. What, what workout, what skill work are you, are you giving for them? Or are they figuring that out on their own? Probably not. I know that. No. Yeah. The skill, the skill work stuff, you, you know, you just, that, that part's what's tricky is that they, you know, if you have a ball, you could ball handle in your driveway back. Mm-hmm. Like I did, you know, growing up. Um, if, I mean, if you, if you don't have a ball, then I question your passion to get better. Like, <laughs> doesn't have a basketball. So, 
um, of course, there are ways. Um, but this is also, you know, the college basketball season is a long one, and this is a really good time to, to dedicate time on things like flexibility and, and course rank, the things that don't, don't get as much time when you're on go time, right? Um, so, you know, I, I would say I've utilized, we have, here we're really fortunate. We have an athletic trainer. Their only job is our 14 athletes. So she sends out weekly flexibility programs that they're to follow. Oh, nice. Right. Yeah. And, then our, and then our strength coach, um, his only job is my 14. And so he does the same thing as he sends out um, videos of what of various things that they're doing and, and talks with each of them. And he kind of does a personalized weekly plan with them as well. You know, so and then we, we do a team, a team Zoom with our staff. And, but, yeah, it's, I think it's like the really true of coaching. Don't make it about you. Like I could come up with this really clear routine so that I would feel better. They're all living, some are, you know, in D.C. and someone else is in Arkansas and someone else is in North Carolina and somebody else is in Texas. And, you know, they might have a gym close to them or that they can use or a park or a, some others might not. I'm trying to meet them individually where they are because it, there's so much variability. In this area, I know, for example, the Jets and Giants, they've pulled their scouts from the road, I'm sure, all across the NFL. But under normal circumstances, to, in terms of scouting, you're visiting their houses, their homes, you're inviting them to campus, you're talking to the families, to their coaches. What contingency plans have you made for your own scouting plan? Oh, it's brutal. Yeah, I feel so bad for these kids. I mean, it's we can still do kind of virtual home visits where we can share ourselves and our program right. and the, the vision of their game. and. So we can present information, right, through that, through technology. But the touch and feel of them seeing the place and meeting the people is obviously on hold, as is our chance to evaluate whether that's move, they move up or down our ladder is, is depending upon how they play. And, you know, for the kids you already know um, that you love and you're kind of done on, that's fine. But for the younger guys or for the, the people that you still wanted to, they wanted to have a chance to play their way up, they don't need to do that as of right now. And that just breaks your heart, you know, because – there's really no substitute for just like there's no substitute for them to see our campus. There's no substitute, you know, for that for these for these student athletes to see our campus and kind of feel the vibe. There's no substitute for us to evaluate their game, right. you know, live and how their game has grown or, or diminished. So that's not, this is going to be the hardest part is the recruiting part of it for sure. And obviously, March Madness for men and women was canceled. I think it was the Ivy League that was the first league to cancel. Too much outrage at first I saw on on, on Twitter. But what would you say yeah. is the most detrimental thing about not playing the tournament from a coaching standpoint? Um, well, it's just that's kind of what you work for. I mean, what makes basketball unique is it's the premier athletic showcase is the NCAA tournament across all sports. It's just, there's nothing like the NCAA women's and men's basketball tournaments, right? And so that March Madness is touched and felt by everybody around the world. And when you earn your chance to play in it, that's what the whole point of, like, these off-season workouts and this – is to do it. And so by that point, you kind of know who you are as a team and it's just like you against them. And, uh, you know, that, that the finality of that being taken away is hard for everybody. And I think it's a really good message though. Sports are really big in our country. And, and for us to see that like there is life beyond our athletic performance and that people are, even though many of the people that are um, competing in these games are actually quite healthy because we're, we're, you know, we're very fit and healthy and we don't might be carriers. Like, it's not about you. It's about our human population. Um, so I think in a way, this global reset has actually been okay. I think it's, it's hard to, to, to navigate and it's hard to maneuver and it's hard to plan. But it, it, it does, this is real, you know, and it allows us to sort of kind of all of us check ourselves a little bit. 
you know, I don't, I, I'll be honest, I'm a little confused by this. So I figured I would ask you, what about from like a senior athlete standpoint? Like, what does that mean for, I guess, a years of eligibility and, and everything moving forward? Yeah, I mean, for the seniors, if you're talking about basketball, it, you know, a lot of people were done their seasons. So a lot of other turn, conference tournaments were already over. And so for those teams that have not their seasons are over. And then you have that middle ground, right? Like where kind of need those, some of those tournaments to determine. That's the whole point of the at-large is that it depends on how the end of the tournaments go, right. right? So there's a lot of unfinished. You can't really just create a tournament with not everybody included, right? That misses the whole point. Right. And so would you – there's no way you give eligibility back. Remember, for, for half of the teams in the tournament, it's only one more game, Right. So right. you give everybody their eligible. You give everybody an additional year of eligibility, even though ninety percent of the teams were done, and all of the tournament teams, fifty percent we done after one more game. You know, there's just no way. There's just no way that will happen. Also, think about financially. Now you filled your roster with scholarship spots the following year through recruits, and now you're bringing people back. You know, that's a really expensive for universities that already are spending a lot of money on their athletic programs. Right. It's already there. It's not even a given that spring sports are going to get their year back. We hope they will, but it's not a guarantee um, because of the financial. So some campuses, some programs might be able to, because they can afford it and others might not be able to, they might be already at their roster allotment scholarship wise, you know? So that's the part that I, luckily I don't have to be with that. Um, but it's a tricky, that's tricky. Now the COVID-19 effect on sports, um, speaking of, we mentioned it before the, but the WNBA, how do you think, or what do you think? What effect will this have on the WNBA, especially if it can't start on time? Yeah, I mean, it's, the scheduling is quite tricky because you can't. The reason why it was where it was is because it worked for the schedule. So, right. you know, that will be that will be really tricky. But you think about not, you know, the, I'm glad they're doing the draft because that's really complicated. So let's say you're the Dallas Wings and you have, I think it's four of the top, top first-round picks, right? If you if, if you don't have the draft, that means for the next year, do they, do they get to push back one year? And so now they get four of those picks, but they have two years of people to choose from. Right. Now those, tr- those picks are way more valuable, right? Or maybe you wouldn't have traded for that pick had you known that there wasn't, you know, et cetera. So not having the draft actually makes things very complicated. Having the draft in no season is, is frustrating, right? And having um, the draft and a season is awesome. So there's kind of, you know, one step at a time. But um, – it's like as leaders, I just I, I try to be really consistent that as a leader, you, you have to navigate tough times and you have to think big picture. And for me to think only about Carolina women's basketball during this where people are dying by the thousands is really selfish. Right. right. So for me to worry about the NC, you know, um, but I'm happy for, you know, I'm happy that they're at least the draft, even if they don't play. Once you've drafted, you've kept the decency of the flow of teams that had a pick this year and other teams have stacked it so they have picks next year. Well, they would get pushed back another whole year if you if you didn't have a draft, right? So I think it, it allows for less disruption in terms of the longevity of the WNBA, in my opinion, even if there's no season. If you didn't have the draft, that, that would just bring way more complications. And as for the scheduling, do you shorten the season? It's already pretty short. Do you, um, do you just, now that there's no Olympics, do you just go longer into the fall? Um, and that might affect their overseas, but overseas is up in the air anyway, right? So, um, 
yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not at the table long enough to know to have enough information to be thoughtful about that. It's going to be, I guess, the first major sports event that drafts besides WrestleMania in this crisis. So, you know, as a home viewer and as you know, as privy to this whole thing, the process as you are, how would you like them to see? To, you know, to to do it. Like, is it going to be a Zoom video thing, or, or what would you like to see? I, I think it'll find. They'll find a way that to do it. Yeah, social. Like it's almost. I mean, the thing is, is that these kids are are oftentimes FaceTiming you know, they're falling asleep with their FaceTime still on, you know, in their beds. Like, yeah. so they're interacting through technology a whole lot more than we all are anyway. So this is probably not that different. So I think they'll now, instead of going to table one to see Sabrina get picked, you'll probably do it in their house. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of neat too, you know? Yeah, I like that. And a tiger that you recruited, Bella Allery, she's set to enter the draft. And we know her father was also, what was he, a first rounder, right? Mark Allery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What advice have you given her to her that maybe he hasn't been able to? You know, probably just that for, for Bella, you know, I, she's she's so humble, you know. And so it whether strength of schedule or whatnot that, that you might be able to knock on the Ivy League for, it's like she's just, she went to USA Basketball and killed it. She killed it this year. She killed it last year. She's just gotten better and better and better with her skill set. And so I, I tried for her. It's just enjoy it. It's a business, but it, it her future is so much bigger than just basketball over over the over the lifespan of her future. Mm-hmm. So this is just the next chapter. And like, be excited on draft night that your name's going to be called because you earned it, you know. Um, and then the, the the conversations that have to follow that are more business like will have those next. Um, but a lot of the advice I gave Bella was in coaching her that. If you want to be a pro, these are the things we have to do. And she just kept doing it, you know. And that's what's fun for me is that, like, you're just going to see someone who, you know, is a really, really good pro. And she, because of how she handled her high school, her college career is why she's a good pro. She wasn't born a pro. And it's just, that's just such a success story. What is your reaction to the stat that over one-third of NBA teams have a woman on their coaching staff? Yeah, right? It's also, you know, it's half of – a lot of pros, or every pro, has has had a mom at one point, you know, and a lot of them, that's the parent that spent a lot of time raising them. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about these pros that are entering a really critical time because they're all the temptation and, and how important their decisions are because they, they have to produce on a night-to-night basis, why would you not have women around? They're the ones that raised them. They're <laughs> the ones they trust, you know. Um, and so, to, to you know, if I was, I don't want to be. If I was a men's college basketball coach, the very first thing I would do is I would hire a woman to be on my staff. Because, again, these women, these men are leaving their, their mother's homes to come in to live on their own for the first time. You know, um, so I think it's really smart. It's, it's better late than never. And I think because of that, they're going to see how much, how much these women know about the game. We've been watching basketball as long as they have, as long as men have. Um, and so I think the, the right women are in the game at the right time. And it's going to be really, I think it's going to just lead the way to a lot more. Something that annoys me is that that Becky Hammond keeps seeming to be passed over every single time in in uh, in taking over for Greg Popovich. Uh, what do you make of that? Right. I guess, let, let's see if that's what she wants. Right. And maybe she does. I don't know. But I remember when I was on uh, that everyone was assuming I was taking this job or that job. People would be like, I can't believe so and so, you know, just passed over Courtney. And it's like they already they already called. I said, no, you know what I mean? Like, so I don't really know. I don't know her enough to know if that's what she's asked for or does she like the role? Assistant role is so different. You get to have a different relationship with the players and all that. So I don't know if maybe the role she's in, she's really happy with. If not, then um, she's ready. So it'll be fun when someone recognizes that.
my last question for you, Courtney, is I, well, it's a little bit of a story here. I talked to Blake Diedrich after her team played against the New York Liberty. And I asked her about her thoughts on you coaching at that level. And this was a quote. She said, Coach Banghart can hang with anybody. And I know you just got to UNC, but has the thought crossed your mind that one day soon you could be coaching a profession on a professional sideline? Yeah. You know, I think it has. I think this is a more, I'm doing basketball more often than I was at Princeton. And I think that was one of the things that I think people close to me questioned. Like, boy, if you leave Princeton, you, you, that's a basketball school. You're going to be doing a lot of basketball. And I was like, yeah, that seems like I'm not a professor. I'm a basketball coach. It makes sense that I would be doing more basketball. Um, and I just love it. I love you know, I have a lot more support staff around, so I get to do a lot more of like the basketball part of it and doing less scheduling and things that require a different skill set. And um, yeah, I love it. So, um, you know, I there will be another chapter in my life. I don't know what it will be yet, but the NBA is a possibility. I love that. I will be a fan of whatever that team is. I, I promise you. Oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. I trust it too. And that does it for this episode. But to check out any of my past episodes, including ones with pioneer broadcaster Susan Waldman, president and COO of the Los Angeles Sparks, Danita Johnson. And if you were curious about my story, that's there as well. Thanks for checking out the Power Players podcast on the radio.com app. I'm your host, Danielle McCartan. I'll see you guys next time.